You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Timeform, the trusted source of racing data and analysis, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Racing App, in partnership with FitzDares. Good morning, welcome to the show. It is Friday, February the 23rd, and I'm coming to you around lunchtime in Riyadh in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, one day in advance of the Saudi Cup 2024. Just a reminder, the four editions that have been run so far have been won by the United States, the United Kingdom, by local horse trained here in the Kingdom, and by Japan and America, Japan and Kingdom of Saudi Arabia rather have the race to themselves tomorrow and it'll be a very good test as to where the Japanese dirt horses match up against their US counterparts with well-known names Derma Sotogake and Ushbata Zoro amongst others taking on some of the best of the US. The Breeders' Cup Classic winner White at Barrio and the Preakness and Pegasus winner National Treasure amongst others and indeed the 1-2-4 from the Pegasus in Florida just three weeks ago reoppose one another here in the desert, there's also action in Ireland and England that we will be getting stuck into a little bit later on. Something for the weekend with Dave Ord from The Sporting Life. Plus, I'll be discussing the Judmont mating plans with their uh, supremo, Simon Mockridge. Uh, Simon has some very interesting thoughts on which mares work best with some of their key stallions, including Frankel. And there's no man who knows the body of work of the greatest horse most of us have ever seen, quite like uh, Simon, who's handled him right from the cradle. So that is well worth staying tuned for. Peter Saville, the man who was formerly chairman of the BHB, his head is above the parapet once again, having been instrumental uh, last year in putting forward the plan that ultimately led to the BHA's much talked about and sometimes controversial premierization, which is in full swing now. Savile now has a plan that we revealed on this podcast exclusively a few weeks ago to reform uh, British racing and its prize money structure with what he perceives to be a simple formula that would force or compel the racecourses to give one third of their takings back to prize money. Uh, We'll be talking to a key supporter of that plan a little bit later in the programme. But first of all, I welcome in Jane Mangan. And I think the world's richest horse race, Jane, is the best place to start. I am here, you are there, but you take a keen eye on proceedings in the kingdom. Um, What do you think is the likeliest outcome of this race? And how do you think it stacks up as a, a leading global contest? Uh, well, usually this this is such an international meeting. I turn to the Japanese and, and see what they have for those marquee races. But I do think uh, the big race itself, it's it's fascinating to see what a Boita Barrio can do after the Breeders' Cup Classic in, in November. Now, it's, it's worth bearing in mind that the Cup itself has thrown up quite a few surprises. It, it might still only be in, relative in its infancy. It's only its fifth year. But four runnings have gone to four different nations. And uh, yeah, I thought, look, Pantalasa last year, but don't forget what Emblem Road did two years ago when all of our jaws hit the floor. I Getting stall one around there, just because the, it is a little bit of a longer home straight than what the Americans would be used to, I didn't think that was a massive negative for Irad Ortiz. And uh, yeah, that's the horse I'm most interested in in the Saudi Cup. Which, which way are you looking? 
Well, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I think the answer is whether Rick Dutro can continue to elicit improvement from this horse. You know, we all thought we knew where we were with him during his three-year-old season, the beginning of his four-year-old season, and then Dutro completely turned him inside out. And his performance in the Breeders' Cup Classic, even though there was a lack of depth to that race, you could argue, and it wasn't a vintage crop of American older horses or indeed three-year-olds last year, he was pretty dominant. And the one thing you know is he will see the race out really well if it turns into a into a burnout because he's got a he's got form form over further. I do think National Treasure is being a little underestimated. I still don't think people really believe that he's a champion, even though he's a Preakness and a Pegasus winner. But this is the right distance for him, and he showed I thought great toughness last time out. The fat connections are prepared to wheel him back. I think speaks volumes for for his chance. I mean, if, with the with the European books with the british and irish books i think national treasure is the the slightly overpriced one but um i think the americans will be disappointed if they don't win the saudi cup for the for the first time in a in a few years yeah i'd agree with that it, it, bob has had uh, obviously he's had good fortune in the race because he's taken home a lot of place prize money but i think is he has he been runner-up three times in this race yeah I think he that's... has he has and, and obviously they're you, you'd have you'd have laid big odds after the inaugural running of this race in 2020 that there wouldn't be another American winner in the next three years. You know, they went to Mishrif and then we had Emblem Road and then last year Panthalassa. So we've had US, Britain, then local horse who shocked everybody and then Japan last year. Yeah. So hopefully, look, that's that's the big race. That's what I suppose the market is telling us. But on the other side of that coin, there's a lot of people going to be tuned in here in Ireland. It'll be four. 10 local time here to see if Aidan O'Brien can make his mark because, you know, there was the maximum security year one and people are saying, oh, cool, more aren't running horses there. Well, they're back. They've got two contenders. Luxembourg was in the main race. He's sidestepping that. He's going to go on the turf in the neon. Surely, surely he's just pulled apart in this. I, I would would have thought so. Do you think it's the right call that, that Aidan O'Brien's done this? He's looked at the, the the dirt race and thought, just a bit spicy. I may be a ten to one shot there. I'm a I'm eleven to ten shot at best in the in the Neom Turf Cup. You run in the race you're most likely to win. And when you when you look at it bare form, okay, he might have a poor draw on thirteen, but the Fox is his second favourite. You're looking at horses like Jack Darcy and Astro King, Spirit Dancer. He's an Irish champion stakes winner. Like he, 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 for me, this is his race. This is the ideal opportunity for him. And it's not just Luxembourg, Aidan O'Brien's running, but Tower of London as well, who was being teed up as a potential Melbourne Cup horse last year. Disappointing they didn't go there with him. But I wonder what he's got to offer as a stayer this time round, Jane. Yeah, I think, look, this is obviously the right pitch for him. It's the best part of two miles, a mile seven. Um, he might have a bit of weight on his back, but there was a time when we thought this horse might be their ledger horse. Of course, Continuous came out and won the ledger, but this one was beaten just less than four lengths at Doncaster. Uh, okay, his last run in, in the handicap was disappointing at the Curra, but I'd say maybe that was just the end of a long season. He's been freshened up. He's coming here. He, of course, is a full brother to Capri. There is a lot of stamina in his pedigree and uh, he's a genuine group performer here in Europe. So uh, I, I think, to be fair, Aidan O'Brien isn't just bringing out horses over there. He's bringing out two live chances. They're both currently favourite. And I'd say they'd be very hopeful of taking home a, a big chunk of prize money. Um, domestically, what interests you most over the weekend? Generally considered to be a, a lower key weekend than it used to be. But there are still points of interest in Britain and Ireland. For sure. Look, the first 
first things first, I'm, I'm delighted to see Jordan Gainford getting back in the saddle. We were talking to him on the pod during the week. He's officially declared to ride Fury Road in the forerunner Bobby Joe Chase at Fairy House tomorrow. There's only four, as I mentioned, but there's Vanillier. I suppose he's taking that step back towards Aintree. He's currently a favourite for the race he was second in last year. Manila Crooner and I am Maximus. I am Maximus carrying the penalty. He'll be difficult to beat because I suppose the, the fact that he's a Drinmore winner and uh, has that kind of class, he may well just carry it and, and be better than the rest. Well, as you say, Jane, this Bobby Joe Chase at Ferry House, it's a small but select field of four and headed by Iron Maximus. And it's, I think, worth remembering Bobby Joe, who was a bit of a local hero, won the Irish National at Ferry House in 98 and then won the Grand National at Aintree the following year. And in the Irish National, he beat Papillon. Papillon himself, of course, succeeded him as the Grand National winner in 2000. And Bobby Joe's rider, Paul Carberry, you'll remember him swinging from the rafters at Aintree famously, uh, has been reflecting on the Irish Grand National win in what was a really remarkable era for those Irish marathon chasers. He's been talking to Dave Keener. Yeah, it was straightforward enough. I hadn't ridden him that many times, so my friends were being retained and whatever, riding for no lead. So um, I'd seen him a good few times, and uh, Garrett Carter rode him a good few times, won him a good bit, and, but I always thought he was using them too much. So I knew I just had to save a bit and just come late. Uh, not come late, but just wouldn't be going for a four out, like, and uh, got a nice lead off Ruby, thank you very much, over the last two or three fences. And yeah, I had something to, to follow that day. Came out to the third last and he stood off outside the wings and gave it on a mighty jump. I knew it lost left then. So I just had to follow Ruby and just keep keep uh, keep going after him. And got a good jump at the last. We battled it out and then just got up in front and won by half an All right, Jane, that was Paul Carberry. What about the action in the UK Saturday? Kempton. You've got the Dovecote, you've got the Pendle, and you've got the Adonis. Again, not big fields, just six in the Adonis. Khalif de, de Berlay, the horse that's unbeaten two from two for Alex Ferguson, Jed Mason, and all of their uh, their conglomerate for Team Nichols and Cobden. Again, every winner counts for Cobden at this stage. Pendle, the novice chase, has attracted six as well. Tamuris, again, the same team of Nichols and Cobden, currently top of the market. Arclight might be interesting in there for uh, Messrs Henderson and Co. The Dovecote... Seven declared in that lump sum for Sam Thomas and Sam Twiston Davis is your current favourite in that. All right, something for the weekend now with our friends at The Sporting Life. Their editor, Dave Ord, is along today. And David, it is just possible that at, at Kempton Park tomorrow, we see a star or two. Even though this day has had its prestige gradually eroded by the flawed, in my view, notion uh, that it is too close to the Cheltenham Festival. Um, what can we expect, do you think? Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? Now, I do agree. I think the Adonis in particular, Coral Adonis, if it is full title, is really interesting. That We've got Khalif de Burley, big money buy from Nichols, so impressive first time out in January at this course. And a horse he thinks of as a Gold Cup horse further down the line is playing down talk of trying hurdles, etc. But if you look at the time for weight adjusted ratings right now, he's only six pounds off Sergino. So if he was to dot in in this Adonis on Saturday, and I know plenty of good judges tell me he won't, there's loads in our office to sweet on give me five to turn him over on Saturday. But just if Kelly de Bellet was good enough to win this and win this well, do you, do you think they'd be able to resist the temptation? Because I agree with you, it is flawed that it's too too close to Cheltenham. It's been the stepping stone in the past, albeit you have to go back a few years for it to be so. But if you've got a, a horse firmly on the upgrade, dots in in this, he's probably going to go up five or six pounds for winning it. He might even be top rated. I mean, that might be a stretch, but he could conceivably within a pound or two of Sergino. Would you res resist the temptation to go? 
Well, it's curious, isn't it? As I said, it's strange because people are quite happy to run a four-year-old here. A young, inexperienced four-year-old slide another run into the horse over hurdles, either to get it more experience for the triumph hurdle or to get it three runs for the the Fred Winter. Um, oh, but they're not prepared to run a, a novice chaser, for example, for argument's sake, this yeah. close to the festival. They're not prepared to run in a race like the, the Coral Chase, even though, Dave, you know, it's got more money than the than the corresponding races at the Cheltenham Festival. It, it's absolutely baffling, isn't it? We've got 12 runners for a race that's worth about 20,000, 30,000 more than the ultimate. And you're looking down the list. Anthony Honeyball has got three of those 12 runners. You're looking at a really valuable pot live on TV, big Saturday. And uh, no disrespect to the horses that are running. It looks very winnable. You haven't got many that are obviously thrown in not many big improvers and zero raiders from Ireland, which, as we know, Nick, seriously enhances your chances of scooping a pot. And this looks to have been a race that's just stuck under the radar for, for British trainers. It just looks, it feels like, doesn't it? 12 runners feels like. Honeyball with three of those 12. We've got the likes of Il Rodoto, Aldanta, Sam Brown, some, some familiar names in among there. But if I had a, an improving handicap that I was looking at the ultimate with, just thinking, well, I don't know what Mullins is bringing Elliot de Bromhead Cromwell, there's this race just popped up on the, the race calendar at Kempton. I, I'd have been tempted to throw my hat into the ring. It, it looks a significantly missed opportunity to me. All right, so that's a word about Kempton Park. Uh, there's the Ida at Newcastle and the Saudi Cup as well. Any final thoughts for me, Dave? I've got the Ida's an interesting race. Um, it sort of slips under the radar a bit now. I don't know why. It, it, I always thought you'd hold a a higher profile than it did, but we've had the, the issue all week where we been, would, would they run or would they not run? Uh, Brian Ellison, the, the favourite anglers, Craig, he has declared him. He is running him. He's he's won his last three. We've got Fenland Tiger, who's won his last two. There's plenty of in-running, uh, in-form horses arriving, potentially on the up in an Ida, which isn't always the case. And there's a horse called Cruise Control of Tom Lacey. I mean, Tom's enjoying the fine season, isn't he? He's a horse I really like. He goes well around Newcastle. He ran a cracker at Doncaster last time, chasing home, raffle ticket, beating the head, rallying strongly. That was over two and a half. I've been waiting for him to, to step up over three. I think he's going to be a revelation as his stamina is stretched out. But he goes from two and a half to four mile, one furlong. So I don't know, I might sit on my hands, but it's an interesting idea. And that cruise control is a horse I really like. And I, I don't know. It's, it's two and a half to four. It's like an old Grand National trick, isn't it, that, Nick? Well, yeah, that, that's exactly. You, you need a two and a half. Half miler to win the Grand National says nobody uh, in the last in the last forty years. Uh, your your takeaway from the Grand National weights, David? We're veterans of these now, aren't we? And, and there used to be such a buzz around the Grand National. You were looking for the arguments, the where you knew the finger wagging would start. Phil Smith, of course, revelled in it. He loved being centre stage for this and picked many a fight over the year. He, his successor, Martin Greenwood, just seemed to handicap the Grand National as if it's a race and there's very little movement on the Irish ratings, plenty left unchanged, most only one or two up this year. It was difficult to find an angle. When you, when you were writing the story on the weights themselves, one Shark Hamlin said that you, it would run. Yep. Top weight. We expected it. We run. Well, that's that, that balloon popped and you're looking for the other, and we, you end up just finding the one about the Irish domination in terms of the handicapping. There didn't seem to be anything that anybody was gravely upset about. Every that could run, could run, uh, will run. And you just wonder where that cut-off point at 34 is going to come. Martin thought it might be down to about horse 53, 54. I know connections of horses down there feel he could be being a bit optimistic with there. But it, it, it's not, it didn't have quite the same buzz as in previous years. That's probably because it's been treated as a high-class handicap and handicapped in just that way. 
All right, that was David Ord with something for the weekend, the editor of The Sporting Life. Jane, in truth, our minds, whether we like it or not, just turn to those four days earlier and earlier. Um, And it's almost as though people can't see what's right in front of their faces. But the Cheltenham Preview Circuit is kind of up and running now. And all these Mm. whispers and the murmurs and the rumours and the this and the that were into, I think it's, is it 18 days to Cheltenham? All right, 18 days to Cheltenham then. Jane, how many Cheltenham previews are you doing? 17? I'm, I'm doing I'm doing six. Wow, that's good. That's good. Ah, I don't know that's whether, whether discipline. It... That's discipline. Can anyone beat six? Any advance on six? David Jennings, Ruby Walsh? David Russell's usually a good one, only he's busy dancing at the moment. He's still dancing, which is credit to him. Still in Strictly... Um, not It's Dancing with the Stars in Ireland, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, he's he's surviving. He's he's in a couple of weeks now, and uh, I'd say he's doing better than even he anticipated. He's improving with every run, and uh, his his odds are contracting week on week. So while he's still there, and you're voting for him manically, you're hoovering up all his preview circuit gravy. I would never have the stamina uh, to do what Davy Russell does in the preview circuit, but um, no, I'd say I'd say for, for the most part we're now the guessing game of where horses are going to slot in. Um, you know, already the talk about Ballyburn and Tully Hill won during the week and Mystical Power, and will they all run in the same race? And all the the Mullins juggernaut, and I'd say Team Mullins themselves don't even know where the horses are going to run. So I love how people in myself included in preview nights are going to tell them where best to run their horse. It, that, we're, we're going to get fatigued with this pretty quickly, aren't we? I mean, the idea of where your Supreme Novice Hurdle favourite is going to run. I, I, I mean, I feel quite fatigued by it already. I, I, the only thing you can do as a better is surely bet him for the other race, non-runner, no bet. That's the only that's the only play you can really make, isn't it? Yeah, because I'd say it's 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 a lot of it'll be down to weather, watch, and owners anyway. So there's there's a lot of variables that people aren't considering, other than this is the right race for the horse. You know as well as I do, Willie Mullins will run a horse regardless of distance, really. He 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 doesn't seem to care if it's intermediate or if he stays at two miles. So, yeah, I, I, I'd say that'd be none under no bet, but there'll be a lot of people thinking otherwise. And isn't it simply a case of, right, how do we best win both races? How do we maximise our chances of winning both races? And I see it. He's got such a strong hand in the two-mile race anyway, without Ballyburn. His best chance of winning both races is to run Ballyburn in the longer race. It's as simple as that. <laughs> okay. That's, that's exactly it? what we're going to be doing at all of the preview nights. I would imagine Willie Mullins is going to win, try and win as many uh, races at Cheltenham as he can. So he will split them. But at the moment, he has top three in the Supreme. And any of those three could go out in distance. So I... I it, it's just a fascinating... I actually enjoy the arguments that people have as if it's... You know their life depends on it i think it's i think it's good for yeah. the discussion and it just shows people passionate about the race but the, this is and i realize i'm i'm proving your point here but the discussion's only got so much life in it that's pretty much the lifespan of the discussion what we've just had isn't it that's it it it's not there's no more than that to it yeah but that's the fiber of the chetland preview circuit because once once we line up the races and we know what we have, it's selection and the whole thing will fly fly by so fast. Um, we're not even talking about horses like Gil Atlantique and Reed and Tommy Wrong and Billy Really Dicky. Like I just those horses haven't even come into the reckoning and they'd be a stable star for other people. But also, and I was making this point to my dad this morning, Willie isn't gonna win all the races at Cheltenham. 
He doesn't usually win all the races at Cheltenham. So don't forget the fact that Henry de Bromhead usually gets to Cheltenham or any of those major festivals in the horse's peak. So your horses like Slade Steel and things, don't don't forget about those horses. And Henry de Bromhead or Harry Fry's Gildy Park, those those horses are good, proper horses. And there's a string of ones next to their name for good reason. Mm. Sounds like you're well pumped up for it anyway. Um, just what, on the point of Henry de Bromhead, I think Manella Rindo is going to win the Grand National. Do you? I think he's going to win the cross country beforehand. Um, well, I do thought. Both. Well, if he, I, if, he, if he does the if he does the latter, then you better back, get on for the national now. I thought he got a very uh, he he got a nice mark for for entry. I thought last year's winner, Cork Rambler, got a nice mark for entry, provided Hewick runs. So, uh, speaking to the Shark Cannon at the event on Tuesday, he seems game on for all of the targets gold cup and grand national what a an achievement it would be to even get him there for both events um yeah it's 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 all look we're we're into the spring now and i'm reading today's tdn and looking at robson aguar and adrian murray's team for the flat and thinking my brain can barely absorb what's going on right now never mind throwing in the flat turf season being around the corner all right, well, Jane mentioning we're bang into the Cheltenham Festival preview circuit, and I, I cannot, I simply cannot promote every single Cheltenham Festival preview. There is, but I can promote one, uh, which is the Cancer Trials Ireland Cheltenham Festival preview, which takes place on Wednesday the 28th. Um, I mean, it does exactly what it says on the tin, raising money for Cancer Trials Ireland, which um, Pat Smullen, the late Pat Smullen, did so much to promote uh, during his uh, fight with cancer. And his daughter, Hannah, joins me on the line now. Hannah, continuing um, Dad's legacy and his his wonderful work on behalf of Cancer Trials Ireland, uh, which has raised just a phenomenal amount so far. It must be give you an enormous amount of pride and pleasure to, to carry it on. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And... Like, I just, I can't really overstate how much we really do care about it and talk about it all the time. And it, it, it is a privilege, to be honest, to be able to, to hold an event like this, especially with a couple of my good friends who care about it as much as I do. So it's brilliant. So tell me a little bit about who's involved, uh, what what you're thinking of and hoping to, to raise and, and how we can all get involved. So it's under the banner of the Trinity College Horse Racing Society. Um, so the primary organisers would be myself. Emma Osborne and then a good friend of mine Luke O'Neill he um, he was the the kind of organiser of it last year with myself as well and it was kind of his brainchild and when he uh, kind of brought the idea to me last year the the words Cancer Trials Ireland were in the same breath as preview night so it was kind of never it was never separate it was always for Cancer Trials Ireland so yeah I, I'm really indebted to Luke kind of bringing that idea to the table to it with the society and, and always having Cancer Trials Ireland and who have you got who have you got as your as your lineup? so we have Kevin O'Reilly I'm seeing and then we have Fran Berry Jane Mangan Martin Braswell and Jodie McGarvey lined up Okay, so that's a, a good lineup, um, and Jane's restricting herself to just the six Cheltenham preview nights she's been telling us. So you're you're very you're very honoured, Hannah. We are absolutely total total privilege to have Jane. I think she'll bring a lot of a lot of insights to the table. Where Kevin and Fran they'll have the knowledge, but they'll also bring the crack. Alrighty, and so where and when? It's in the Horse Show House in Ballsbridge next Wednesday, the twenty eighth of February at half seven. So if you were listening to the pod a few weeks ago, you'll have heard us discussing uh, Peter Saville, uh, former chairman of what was then the British Horse Racing Board, now the British Horse Racing Authority. He's entered the fray a couple of times this year. Uh, First of all, um, last year when he was uh, instrumental in the initial design of what has now become premierisation. 
and now again in his bid to um, force racecourses or persuade racecourses to give up a, a designated um, a segment of their of their income to to prize money. Uh, now we we discussed this on the podcast a few weeks ago. It was something that was wasn't supported wholly by the National Trainers Federation at the time. Uh, they felt that sort of renegade action of this nature was was not necessarily something that they would support. But I think Peter Savile has slightly moderated his tone in an article with with Bill Barber today, where he's focused very much on the percentage of prize money that um, uh, the percentage of revenue that should go into prize money, as opposed to necessarily direct action being taken on the part of the of the horseman. This has received some support from Sam Hoskins, who's a former council member of the Racehorse Owners Association, uh, a syndicate manager of Kennet Valley uh, Syndicates, and also a, a, a quite often a, an, an outspoken critic uh, of, of various factions within the sports. So Sam, why are you lending Peter Savile your support? I feel, Nick, that um, it's a very simple, seems a very simple proposal. And um, for me, it would it would give the opportunity for racecourses and horsemen stroke participants to uh, to work together because then for every for every pound that's coming into the racecourse gate, a third of that is going into into prize money. And I think that would be a really good rhetoric for for horsemen to support. I think there's so much I think there's so much potential for what for what we the participants could do for racecourses, uh, whether it be I mean we see the influence of owners on sponsorship etc um i mean obviously a lot of owners involved with um with companies etc the potential for corporate hospitality and unfortunately there's no denying the fact that there's a huge them and us situation at the moment and and that's not going to go anywhere because a little bit more is not going to solve this problem and um uh, the lack of transparency has obviously been very well documented so um, this this would create obviously this would mean that the race courses perhaps would, would not have to be transparent i presume there would have to be some kind of uh uh it might have to be auditors would go in and and uh to ensure this is ha- taking place at a 35 percent or whatever he was proposing would go back in but uh um i think it makes so much sense and um and obviously um there are going to be a lot of race courses who already commit more than that anyway so it wouldn't affect them but there'd be other race courses that wouldn't be and uh this would create the, the sort of assurance and confidence in racecourses that are doing their absolute best for, for British racing. Uh, and is it workable when all the racecourses have got such different business models and some um, of their revenue is based on on footfall? A lot of racecourses, smaller racecourses, are almost exclusively based on on me, the much talked about media rights payments. Uh, a lot of those racecourses, particularly the large ones, would argue that what's good for the goose is not necessarily good for the gander. Well, it's interesting. They asked. There's seriously there are a lot of different models, aren't there? And I know um, Ark are always very adamant to focus on that. A lot of their um, race courses are media rights based, etc. Whereas you might get a track like Chester, which I assume probably the majority of their income comes from from race goers coming in when they get tens of thousands of race goers coming in for a lot of their Saturday Saturday meetings, etc. So it is very different. But I suppose it's very interesting to these that he's focusing on on a percentage of uh, of turnover uh, in all race course income rather than just media rights. So that's a really interesting um, point that he's focusing on. And um, I, I really hope this can, can unite all horsemen and, uh, and hopefully um, take this forward and hopefully we can get all the race horses on board. And um, yeah, we've got to, got to look to the future, haven't we? And um, this, is, this is all of, I mean, I, you mentioned I've obviously been quite outspoken and my, my heart's very much in the future of British racing, the long-term health of it. And, and I, I can see when I speak to trainers and and obviously other owners and whether and jockeys, stable staff, etc., this affects everyone. And at the moment, it's it's just not sustainable. And but this is something which could be a fair solution, which um, on turnover could be something that look, it's, it might hit some race 
course is harder. That's going to be tough, but hopefully we can really support those race courses and get them through it. And, and, and it can be something we can all look to the future with together and, and go on arm in arm as such. Okay, just a couple of days ago, Judd Mons, one of the preeminent breeding operations in global bloodstock, announced their 2024 European mating plans. We can talk about the new boy Chaldean in a few moments. We can talk about Kingman for a long time, if you wish, but we have to start with the great Frankel. And Simon Mockridge from Judmont joins me now. Um, Simon, I, I was looking at, at the release and looking at this list of beautiful mares that he's, he's set to cover again, and I'm thinking the challenge for you all must be um, who to say no to, I guess, even of even of your own. Uh, Nick, first of all, thanks for the invitation. Uh, I think, fortunately, uh, at the fee that the horse is now standing at, he, he sort of limits himself anyway. So uh, I guess the answer is anybody that is seriously considering using a stallion at that value is always sending their very, very best mares. So... Uh, the answer to that is we are lucky that we have now probably got uh, one of the leading sires in the world standing on our roster and it means that he he gets access and gains access to the very best mares and the very best breeders in the world. Uh, You've been so close to this horse for his in, entire career from, from cradle right to this point now where he is, as you say, the world's preeminent stallion or at least one of the world's preeminent stallions. Um has his success at stud exceeded even your own expectations or not? Well, I think it's fair to say when, when we stand any stallion, there's probably only one in ten stallions actually uh, reach any great height. Um, to reach the level that he, he's currently at, is, is that a surprise? Uh, yes, of course it is. Uh, there are so few stallions in the world and we can count them, you know, over the years. You look at the likes of Sadler's Wells, Galileo, Dane Hill, uh, the Great Dubawi. Um, and even before that, you have to go back to the Northern Dancers, the Nureyevs, and the Mr. Prospectors. Uh, those are the type of stallions uh, that we are actually talking about. They are the super elite horses, and I think he's operating in that realm, um, certainly statistically. He's right up there and, and above the vast majority of them. So, you know, he's had an incredible start. Uh, it, it's frightening to think that he's now 16 years of age. Uh, but, you know, he's 16 years of age. He's closing in on 100 group winners. He's over, you know, 35 individual group one winners. His, his strike rate is phenomenal. He's had access to the very best mares from the day he retired to stud. And, and many judges would say, well, he's had access to the best mares. Um, I, my, my reply to that is, yes, there are a lot of stallions that have done that in history and haven't taken that opportunity. And he certainly has. Uh, yeah, in spades. And I, you look at some of the beautiful mares that you yourselves will be will be sending him again. Uh, and they are stakes winners or the dams of stakes winners, uh, 27 stakes winners and or producers. Uh, I wonder from from your eye whether you think there is a particular physical type of mare that works particularly well with him uh, and or a, a mare with a certain pedigree that you think is a, is a real lock. 
well, I think in the first place, uh, the the great asset is is another stallion based in Newmarket at the moment, as uh, uh, and as a broodmare sire, and Frankel uh, as a sire. They seem to have a a total affinity at this moment in time, which is which is fantastic for us. Um, yes, uh, we know he works very well with the Mr. Prospector line. Um, and he works. He works very, 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 very well with outcross mares. So uh, when you when you look at his number of his Group One winners, uh, there's only two that are actually inbred either to Sadler's Wells or or, or to Danehild. Uh, the remainder are are actually outcrosses. So um, we have actively, as you know, we've been buying a number of new mares over the years. Uh, and we're very fortunate that the family have been encouraging us to do that. And within that, we do look for our cross mares, and that, that's often very, very difficult to find. And I suppose for all of us, we should be quite grateful to, for, to you, to all of you, for that, because you're promoting you're promoting breed diversity, which is something we talk about an awful lot on here. Yes, uh, um, and and you know that that's 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 the worry. Um, when you actually look at the number of stallions that there are in in Britain now, I think, you know, a couple of years ago, Weatherby's released a, a stat where there is now only a hundred and just under a hundred and fifty registered stallions in in Great Britain, uh, compared to nearly four hundred back in 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 the two thousands. Uh, it, it is a concern. We 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 are our our gene pool is shrinking. Um, but on reflection, uh, we only have to look at it. We, our own roster was very dominated by the Danzig line when we had the likes of Dane Hill, uh, da- sorry, Dan Silly, um, uh, Cacique, Champs Elysees, and Oasis Dreamer Stud. Um, now we are uh, at, at the end of uh, a lot of that. Um, we are now dealing with the likes of, of, of Frankel and, and Kingman. Um, and we're lucky enough now we've got a son of Frankel coming through. So we are, we are ourselves going to have our own problem. The great thing is I don't think anybody saw the influence uh, of uh, Dubai Millennium and through Dubawi and the sons of Dubawi that are now going to start. So we, we are seeing a, a breakaway slightly from, from that sort of Dane Hill dancing-centric bloodlines. I want to ask you about Chaldean, who's the, the 2000 Guineas winner and Dewhurst winner, who's, who's now standing for the 2024 season, and ask you about how you approach supporting a, a first season sire, because clearly you have to, I suppose, balance giving him lots of opportunities with nice mares without going completely crazy and, and just betting the whole house on him. Yes, the roadmap is very clear. I mean, Prince Khalid was a great believer in supporting his own stallions. He's a great believer that stallions are only one part of of the equation. The broodmare band is far more important at the end of the day. And so he was very keen that any stallion that we stood as stud um, had the opportunity of covering the very best mares that he, he was able to send him. And that resulted in him, 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 him actually being the breeder of very many of the first group one winners of any of our st- uh, any of our stallions, and that that included, in fact, Rainbow Quest. It actually uh, right the way through to Oasis Dream, Symphonic, um, and and right up to modern really. Um, Simon, t- talk to me a little bit about where where Kingman finds himself now, and and how you think the industry views him. 
Well, Kingman made a, 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 a fantastic start to his stud career and um, elevated himself uh, to a, a, a hundred thousand pounds stallion very, very quickly. I think it, if you, when you actually analyse what he's achieved to date, um, I think he's he's well up there. Um, I think he probably just sits below the likes of Dubawi uh, and Frankel. He's he's in that next echelon. We saw last year that he had, uh, with his three-year-olds, he had more stakes winning three-year-olds than any other sire in the world other than his own um, um, compatriot, Frankel. Um, and I, I just feel that with, with four new Group 1 winners last year, um, and he's got two very, very, very strong books uh, to run for him over the next coming years, I think he will, he will rebound to the level where people will understand that he is one of the world's leading stallions. And again, it was similar to, to the question I asked with, with Frankel earlier. When you at Judmont look to send a mare to, to Kingman, what are, you, what are you putting his way? Well, you know, interestingly, I'm, I'm, unlike uh, Oasis Dream, and we, we, learned, we learned off Oasis Dream, one of the issues that we, we found with Oasis Dream is uh, he is physically a sprinter. He is um, on, on a genetic test. He is a CC. He is very much like Kingman, who is also a CC. They they share very similar influences, sireline. Just 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 for just for those who aren't familiar, what a CC is. Just just explain that genetically. So genetically, they they have uh, short muscle twitches. So he is bred to be a sprinter, a sprinter miler at, at best, and therefore, as a result, your breeding when you as as CCs, you you know that the vast majority of animals that will be bred. Um, through the mare system will be either CCs or CTs, which will mean that they should have a spread from sprint to sort of nine, 10 furlongs. The difficulties of breeding are, are, are thus. So with Oasis Dream, when he was mated to Galileo mares, he didn't have a huge amount of success because, um, you know, genetically, I believe uh, Galileo was a TT, so he was a, a mile and a quarter, mile and a half. Um, it, that's where his strengths lay. And and when he was mated to uh, Galileo, um, he didn't have a great deal of success. Whereas Kingman, who is very, very similarly bred, very similarly bred, apart from removal of one generation on the top and bottom lines, has a great... Uh, success rate with Galileo and I can't explain why that it is but he suits Galileo whereas Oasis Dream didn't so there is no there's no um, there's no way that you can determine that until you actually breed the mares to a horse that's interesting so you can you can do all the testing you want but sometimes you just have to you just have to get on with it and and see what and and see what emerges well um it, it's been absolutely fascinating i feel like i've learned an enormous amount from this conversation uh, and uh, i wish you all the all the very best for a, a successful 2024 simon uh thank you very much all right that was simon mockridge fascinating stuff there um and no one more knowledgeable um on on the subjects that he was talking about Right, Jane Mangan, all I need is a tip from you. Well, today I'm off to Exeter. I mentioned Nichols and Cobden and how good a weekend they might have. 
Well, things won't happen fast in the 340 because it's three miles, six handicap chase on heavy ground. And the horse is quite uh, well named. The horse is called Take Your Time. And I think in the three mile, six handicap chase at 340 Dexter, that's exactly what's going to happen. All right, Jane, thanks so much. Thank you to all my guests today. And thank you very much for listening. That's it from me from Riyadh. Charlotte will be back this evening and I will be back with you from TW11 on Monday. Looking forward to getting home. Bye for now. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you by Timeform, the trusted source of racing data and analysis, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the racing app in partnership with Fitstairs. <laughs>